a couple of uh, chapters in the Bible, and you might be saying chapters, uh, yet yeah, Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. Um, we're going to be looking uh, from towards the end of Matthew 24 onwards all the way through Matthew 25 mainly, um, but looking at some of the context of Matthew 24 as well, the beginning of it. Um, I'm very aware that there's a lot of material in these two chapters. Uh, I'm not going to be preaching from all of it, because uh, we would be here for a good couple of days. So I'm just going to be preaching from right at the end of chapter 25, but we're going to kind of work our way there uh, and then land ourselves there. And if I get invited back to preach again, you never know, this could be your last one, depending on what I say today. Um, then maybe we'll go back and revisit uh, some of the earlier bits of those chapters and look at what they're teaching as well. Um, but really the context is, is, well, and the main point of these chapters, I would argue, is pretty simple. The main sort of feel, the main thrust of these two chapters is uh, the end of the world and Jesus returning. Uh, to put it in a very simple sentence, I would say, if you're going to read through those, that is what I would hope you would come away with, is, wow, Jesus is going to return. And it speaks about a lot of things in there. And, and earlier, in chapter 24, Jesus kind of brings uh, two prophecies, I would say. And his first prophecy, earlier on in chapter 24, is the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem. Um, and actually... About 70-ish years later, that happens. Um, what Jesus has done is he's, ta- he's talking with his disciples, he's teaching them, and he says, you know, these things are going to happen. He explains about some of the things that are going to happen, and we see that through those verses, we, we, there's some kind of confusing language as he talks about different things, and sometimes you're like, is he talking about the end now, or is he talking about what's going to happen with Jerusalem? And it can take a bit to kind of pick him out. But in general, he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, the st- destruction of the temple, um, and the fact that he's going to be coming back at the end. Uh, and he gives a few pointers uh, towards that as well. Um, today as well, just to let you know, a lot of you have notebooks and stuff. And it is really good to take notes. And I know a lot of you uh, take notes because it helps you concentrate, uh, which is brilliant. Um, but I would encourage you today... If you feel able, or, you know, and this is, this is dangerous stuff, if you feel able to maybe later on just put your notebook down, because I think this is recorded anyway, and if you want to go back and take notes, you can do that at a later date. Because as we move forward through these chapters, we see that obviously earlier on in 24, Jesus sat down his disciples talking to them, telling about the destruction of Jerusalem, the, the end of the world. He then tells some parables. And parables are sort of like stories. And I have an imagination, and I like to exercise my imagination. And Jesus told parables, he used parables, because the visual aspect of them was really useful to the people who were listening, because he would often use examples from their everyday life. Uh, and probably even before he's made the point at the end of his parable, they have already got the impact what that parable is going to mean because of the visual illustration that is coming. Because they get it. They're like, oh yeah, it's like that. And at the time, maybe a lot of them wouldn't know how to write or wouldn't necessarily... Writing or taking notes during a sermon probably would have been a lot more tricky 
uh, at that point, you didn't have an iPad or little notebooks with biro pens. It would have probably been scrollish stuff, a little bit more awkward to carry around with you. So they would learn the story. They would hear a story. They would feel the impact of that story. And they would learn from that story. So that's what I want to encourage you to do today is if you feel able and you want to, this is not a pressure thing, you can just put the notebook down, look at me. <laughs> Maybe that's why people take notes all the time is that they, they just genuinely don't want to look at the preacher for too long. I don't blame you. Um, but yeah, kind of get the feel. And, and let, let me explain as well. Dan preached last, ta- last week, didn't you? I wasn't here. Um, I, I listened to it online. And he was talking about rejoicing. And he, you got people up to uh, give testimonies, is that right? Um, obviously, I wasn't there. But I have a testimony as well of something that I, I rejoice in regularly. And actually was rejoicing in this morning. Because every time I get up to preach, uh, it's a challenge. I get nervous. And actually, in the natural... In my own abilities, I, I shouldn't really be able to do this preaching malarkey because it involves a lot of reading out loud, a lot of reading beforehand, a lot of studying, and so on. That is not, believe it or not, that is not my natural ability. Um, and so when I'm talking about parables, that is kind of my natural ability. I love stories. I love listening to people tell stories. And I love learning from stories. Um, and my testimony, really, and in a minute you'll all see a miracle, is that growing up, I had quite bad dyslexia. Some of you already know this story, so I'll keep it short. And going through school life, academia, not my thing. I, would, I was often sort of, I'd go to like dyslexia institutes. I don't know if that's what they call them anymore. It sounds a bit, a bit rough that, doesn't it? Um, and I'd get taken out of school maybe once a week to go to a dyslexia institute. And I even, bless my mother, she took me out of school for a whole year and home tutored me just to help me kind of grasp some of the basics of academia, of things that you're meant to learn at school. And so, and, and honestly, bless her, because... Uh, I, I could also be described as a child with a lot of energy. Um, and so, growing up, academia, not my thing. And in fact, when, in school, whenever it came to the point where, you know, like you're English or something, and you're all studying a poem, and, and why, the, the massive books, I don't know why they give you massive, but anyway. So you, you open the book, and then the teacher says, right, now you have to read out loud. In school, that was like one of the worst feelings for me. Because to read out loud, just, I genuinely sound like a four-year-old. And, and that is not exaggerating. I would look at the words on the page, and just my brain wouldn't allow me to read them properly. So for a lot of people, you can sort of see words, and as you read, you can just say them. Um, for me, I have to kind of work my way across a line and sound out a word before I can actually say it. So it's slow, it's stuttered, it's broken, and it sounds like a child. (laughs) Um, And so this is where the testimony comes in, which is that the first time that I did a preach or a talk or whatever you want to call it was at a youth event. I think Alistair asked me to talk at uh, something called the event at the time. Um, And so I was like, yep, I'll go for it if this is what God's saying. And went for it. That first time, I knew I'm going to have to read out loud. 
to whoever is there. And so genuinely, genuinely just had to pray to God one of two things. Either you help me deal with the embarrassment of broken reading out, which I was prepared for. It's fine. I don't mind a bit of embarrassment. Or, Lord, you can help me read out loud. And so went forward, opened the Bible, turned to the verse, and read out loud without broken language. So it's a miracle. So that's my little testimony of rejoicing. Sorry, I just had to kind of shoehorn that in. Um, and it always encourages me because the Bible's not academic. It's just not. The study of the Bible is not academic. You don't have to be an academic to know, study, learn from, be taught by the Word of God. It's living and active. It's revealed truth. And so I guess if my little testimony can help you if maybe you struggle with reading or you struggle with studying the Bible. You don't have to be academic. And in fact, like we're going to be looking at today, stories, learning from the Word of God, let it impact you visually, learn from it, listen to it, memorize it. It's beautiful. So a little bit off point, sorry. I just uh, kind of felt that in the worship and I wanted to share that uh, with you. Back to the main point is, as I say, in the beginning of chapter 24, we see Jesus teaching and and talking about the end of the world, destruction of Jerusalem. Um, And then he gives us some clear warnings that you can't predict the end of the world. No one is going to be able to predict the end of the world. He says that to his disciples. And also, you will all definitely know about it when Jesus returns. And this is really clear. So, in teaching this first bit of of chapter 24, he's really letting them know, you will know about it when I come back. Everyone will know about it when I come back. And nobody is going to predict it because not even I know when I'm going to come back. And so I want you to just catch the context as Jesus is building up towards these parables. He's teaching that the end is coming. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. You won't be able to know when it is that it's coming. And you will all definitely know when I come back because I'm coming with all sorts of angels. I'm coming in glory. And everybody is going to know that I'm going to return. So just to encourage you again, if you hear rumors of messiahs that have returned, I don't know, there's one the guy in Australia recently or something saying that he's Jesus. I don't know. Or if you hear about people getting a calculator out and looking at numbers in the Bible and working out, oh, the end of the world is going to be then, you can confidently say it's rubbish. It's not going to happen. No one can predict the end. Jesus, when he returns, everyone's going to know about it. So you can take comfort in that. Then Jesus moves on to these parables. So now we're getting towards the story bits. Parables are very helpful. Parables are very enjoyable. But Jesus often used examples for people of the culture that he was speaking to at the time. And so when we read the parables in the scriptures, we can often get a little bit confused or not really get the point because a lot of the things that he's mentioning make absolutely no sense to us because he's talking to people 2,000 odd years ago. So... I'm going to try and help us understand some of these things, explain a little bit of some of these things um, as we go through some parables, just so that we maybe can grasp a little bit more of the visual representation that Jesus is using. Um, But also, I want you to... In fact, I I want to try and get us in the zone. 
So to get in the zone, I'd like you just to imagine that you are where this context comes in. So Jesus is talking to his mates, 12 disciples. And this is the last time, really, that he's going to teach them. This is kind of the pinnacle of his teaching to his disciples. And so, this is in my mind, maybe he's sat them down, he's got them together, it's an intimate thing, and he's now he's going to teach his friends, going to share some stories. And this teaching, these uh, parables, are the tools that he's giving them to live in the in-between stage of him coming and him returning. He's giving them some teachings so that they know how to live in that in-between bit. Because when Jesus came, it was kind of like the middle of history, if you want to call it. Some people call it that. And he's going to return. But in between then and then, we've got a lot of space that we need to live. And these parables are teaching about how we can live in that space. Um, There's a little kind of saying, I don't know who said it, I read it somewhere, um, about that space is as Christians, uh, we're not what we were, but we're not yet what we will be. And so there's kind of like a lot of working out, a lot of things we need to, to do and live for and learn as we have that intermediate space between Jesus coming and Jesus returning. And when he returns, we'll be in glory. So those parables are there to teach us about that. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through all of the parables that Jesus teaches from, from the end of chapter 24. As we go through them, I'm going to explain them. And for the first four parables, I'm going to give you the headline. I'm going to kind of give you the, the main point of that parable. Please don't come up to me afterwards and say, yes, but Tom, that parable also teaches this and this and this and this. I know it does. It, they teach a lot. I could probably spend a sermon on each one of those parables, but I'm just going to give you the headline. And as we go through these first parables, we'll then get to the, to the end one, which is the sheep and the goats. Debatable, you could call it a parable or not. It's more like an illustration, but anyway, we'll get to that end one and we'll plant ourselves in there and we're going to learn from that one. But allow these first four just to get you in the mood for parable learning. So you're sat before Jesus, his mates. He's teaching you about the in-between time. How am I going to live now in between you returning to heaven, Jesus, and then you coming back at the end? And so get the feel for it as we read through these parables, and then we'll get to the one we're going to really dig into today. And so the first parable arrives at chapter 24, verse 42 to 44. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of a house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would have not let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. That one doesn't take too much effort to kind of get your head around culturally. Who here lives in a house? Who here has heard of a thief? And who here, if you want to put your hand up, has maybe ever had their house broken into? Okay, so there's some experience, well, quite a lot of experience of that. So for us, actually, this parable, we can get the feel for that. And the main point of that parable is to be expectant of Christ's return, is to be watchful. 
Okay? Headline. Next parable is 45 to 51. Um, we'll call this one wise servants. You can call it whatever you want. Um, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he's not aware, that he's not aware of. He will cut him into pieces him and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so a little bit of a harsh ending to that one. Um, and also, I would say probably culturally, a little bit more difficult to get hold of. Um, we've heard of servants. Anybody here got any servants? No? Uh, anybody ever been a servant in a house? No? Okay, so... Back in the day, that was quite common. You'd, you would have, people would have servants. Uh, you would maybe be a servant. Um, it would be a job. And so it would be a very understandable sort of story for people to tell. They, they would have got hold of that. Like, oh, yeah, because in a household, different servants have different roles. And yeah, and I suppose actually, yeah, I was a servant once. And my master went away and, you know, I uh, slacked off a little bit. Um, so they may, may be able to get grasp that a little bit more. So hopefully that helps you. That's their culture. And the main point of that, is to live a holy life. Um, and actually, it kind of links into the first one. It's kind of the fruit of being expectant, of being watchful. Headline. So the next parable is the parable of the ten virgins. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who, look at the, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both uh, us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready uh, went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Okay, again, this one maybe is not that culturally relevant for us. Uh, Anybody send out 10 virgins to go and meet the bridegroom before your wedding? No? Okay. At the, at the time, uh, that was quite a common thing to do. People weren't so much into the honeymoons after the wedding. There was kind of festivities around the wedding. Could go on for a couple of days, could go on for a couple of weeks. Um, and the, the bride would sort of send out friends to go and meet the bridegroom. And the bridegroom would come and they'd go to the bride's house and maybe they'd then take everybody to the groom's house, have a big festivity party, or stay in the bride's house, have a big party, and so on. And so that was kind of like the role of these ten virgins. Go out, meet the dude, go and have a party. So that is sort of the cultural aspect of it. Again, not something we can naturally relate to immediately, but hopefully you get the feel for it. Um, I would say 
the, the main point of this parable is also about readiness. It's, it's, a, it's um, about being ready. Uh, but it does bring some other warnings with it. It's kind of like got a few main points. Um, first warning, uh, ten virgins all look the same. But they weren't the same. Five wise, five foolish. Um, I suppose making the point that lots of people can look the same. So you might be in a church. You might be have friends that are Christians. And you might go along to church and you might pray and you might say things that make you sound like a Christian, and you might be really nice. doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. Also, in that parable I say one of the points, is the oil bit, which is we have the Holy Spirit to sustain us, which is brilliant as Christians. And that can't be borrowed. The whole, can we borrow it, no thing, is kind of a highlight in that parable. If he doesn't know you, you're shut out. So there are some of the headlines for that parable. Okay? Next parable. This parable is a few different names. Uh, probably most famously called like the parable of the talents. Uh, you could call it the parable of the bags of gold, uh, because that might be a little bit more helpful to understand, because... When you hear the word talent, you kind of think, I don't know, guitar playing, singing, you know, really good at football. That's not what that word means. Uh, it's more to do with a, a measure of, of wealth or a bag of gold, I suppose, if you want to call it that, uh, responsibility. So let's read that, par- that parable. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags. And another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold bought the other five. Master, he said, You entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, You entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid the gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that, that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay. A jam-packed parable. As I say, full sermons worth in there. Highlights. The main point, I would say, of this is to be faithful with the responsibilities God gives you. Um, 
He puts us in charge of stuff, and we're to be faithful with that. A little, maybe an illustration of that would be uh, working a muscle. So if you work your muscles, uh, your muscle will increase, and you'll be able to bear more load. If you don't work a muscle, even the muscle you've got will probably disappear. And so, headline. So that takes us to the parable or illustration of the sheep and the goats. And this is where we're going to kind of focus our attention today. Because like I said, chapter 24, chapter 25 kind of has main, a main theme, a main push, which is Jesus is going to return and bring an end to the world. And in this parable, we can learn a lot about that um, and also learn about what's going to happen to us when he does return uh, and bring an end to the world. So, my point is very simple, as always, <laughs> uh, which is that Jesus is going to return. And are you a sheep or a goat, dead or alive, cursed or blessed? That's my point. So, we're going to go through the parable. And we start in that parable, uh, we see in verse 31, it says, Where the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, and the goats on his left. So this first bit, we learn some incredible things, is that when Jesus returns, it is going to be glorious. I mean, full-on glory, amazing visual stuff. says that when he comes in his glory, he's going to sit on his throne. And today we heard from Anne, and she was talking about how when Esther approached the throne, uh, and the king was there with his scepter, and he had a choice, didn't he? Which was, I or am I going to have favor with you? So I was really encouraged by that answer. Thanks for sharing that. And thankfully, us who are Christians, you know, we get the favor. But it's this king sort of moment that we're looking at, really. This is Jesus in glory, Jesus on his throne, Jesus with authority making some decisions. And the kind of parable bit of it, the illustration bit of it, is that he says he's going to separate us like the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So at this point, have we got any Middle Eastern shepherds amongst us? No. Okay, any shepherds? Farmers? Agricultural workers? People who've been to the farm? Yes. Okay. (laughs) So, we know what sheep are, right? And we know what goats are. Very good. But... In Sheffield, very often, we will just see like a field of sheep. And so you're like, why would you separate goats from sheep? Goats are already separate from sheep. So to help you with this illustration, uh, I want some volunteers. Actually, they're not going to be volunteers at all. If you're between the age of 10 and, say, 25, can you please come to the front? Very, very, very quickly. Go, 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 go. Dan, can you just move that mic for me? (laughs) 
Okay, guys, if you just all gather into the middle. Come round, guys, on the edges, on the edges. Listen, listen, come round. Right, gather in, bunch together. Bun think sheep, think goat. They don't line up. Get in the middle. Get in the middle. No, more in the middle. If you're on the edges, right down the front. And don't be scared about being at the front. Come on, guys. Still, this is very organized for sheep and goats. More bunchy, please. More bunchy. Come in. That's it. Come round. Thank you. Okay. Can we have some silence from the goats and the sheep? Thank you. So, to sort of help you visually, this is what sheep and goats look like together. And so, for this uh, parable, I will be playing the part of Jesus. <laughs> I've been growing this beard especially. And actually, I forgot my white t-shirt, because normally you have to wear a white t-shirt if you're going to represent t Jesus, obviously, holy and all that. But I got the beard. I tried growing my hair. It's not happening anymore. Um, so, I'm going to separate you out. I really wish I'd bought my staff, uh, but unfortunately I've left that at home. So if I tap you on the head and call you a goat, yep, I want you to move over to this side. If I tap you on the head and call you a sheep, I want you to move over to this side, okay? I'm just going to get in amongst it. Sheep, goat, sheep, goat, sheep, goat, sheep, goat, sheep. Goat, sheep, 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 goat, is that the sheep? Okay. I may have called you both a sheep and a goat. I apologize for that. Okay. So we see in this illustration, Jesus sep separates the people because he's gathered all nations before him. Just like the shepherd separates the sheep and the goat. Background. Uh, goats get cold at nighttime. So that is why they would have been separated out from the sheep. So they can stay warm at night. And kind of historically, sheep are probably a little bit more valuable than goats. And so, sorry guys. Uh, it, honestly, it's going to get worse for you as the story goes on. So, <laughs> that is the least of your worries at this moment. Um, so, get the feel for it. Because as Jesus gave this illustration, the people at the time, before he's even given the point... This is already beginning to hit home because they lived in an agricultural culture. Sheep and goats and farming and stuff like that were just massively part of what they did. They would have known exactly what he was talking about. And so as he begins to even mention those words, that visual thing would have just been very stark in their mind. So I want you to look at this. I want it to just sort of land a bit. There is nobody in the middle. There is sheep. And goats. Okay? So he's come in all glory with all his angels. Everybody's known about it. We discussed that earlier in chapter 24. It's going to be that everybody knows. He's come back. The king's here. He separates out the sheep and the goats. 
this gap in between, there's going to be nobody there. No one left with a decision. Nobody left thinking, which will I be? No half goats, half sheep. There's just nothing. It's very, very stark illustration, a complete separation of these two groups of people. Okay. As we move on in this uh, illustration, from verse 34 onwards, uh, the king is going to address the sheep on his right, the people on his right. And this is what he says to them. He says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you've clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So he's addressing the people on the right. This is the exciting bit of this illustration. If you're in Christ today, if you know Jesus, these words that Jesus is speaking to these people should do something in your heart that is inexpressible joy. Because the words that he says to them pretty much sum up like the whole gospel and everything that's going to happen after. It's amazing. And these words, just imagine it as well. This is Jesus, the Lord, the King, in authority, speaking to you and saying these things to you. Guys, you might be standing for a while, so you just want to sit, take a load off. I'll give you some rest, I'm nice. So he, he addresses them, and he addresses them like this. He says, come, you who are blessed by my Father. Blessed, yes. Which means you are already blessed already have received the good of the gospel. You're blessed. It's amazing. To be called blessed by God is astounding because you have come into all that God has got for you. You have come into all that Jesus did for you on the cross and you are blessed. And then he goes on to say, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. This also is, for me, incredibly exciting because this is talking about heaven. And honestly, I will, in my own time, if you want to come and talk to me about heaven, I will just rabbit on about heaven. I will speculate about heaven. I will get excited about heaven. I will get childlike about heaven because everything about heaven really, really, really excites me. I don't understand hardly any of it at all. But I'm happy to spend hours talking about it because it does something good inside me. Because it reminds me of what amazing things are going to happen for me. And he says to them, come into the inheritance, inheritance that God has prepared for you since the creation of the world. Inheritance is quite an important word. It's, it's talking about not just like when your auntie dies and you get some money. But actually, he's 
calling these people children of God. We've heard that come through this morning as well, haven't we? He's saying you're going to receive, you're receiving the inheritance, which means you are God's children. Your father is in heaven. He's calling you children. Not only children, but the inheritance that he's talking about here is to be a co-heir with Christ, a son. It's like a sonship. It's a sonship heir inheritance that you're receiving. It is an awesome, awesome thing to have said about you by Jesus. And you can catch a flavor of that in Galatians 4. Galatians 4, verses 6 and 7. We'll get that up on the screen. Nice one. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's children. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. I mean... Again, I don't get it because I I don't really know the extent of which this means. But Jesus being almighty king, wonderful, king of heaven, king of the kingdom, la la la. And we get co-inheritance with him. It blows my mind. It's crazy. And it talks also about the kingdom prepared for you since the beginning of the world. Since the creation of the world. Okay, so let's just go into my simplistic mind once again. Um, This is probably way off, but, you know, could be argued God created the world six days. He's been preparing a place for you since the beginning of the world, a little bit longer than six days. Yeah? What on earth is that going to be like? God has been preparing a place for you. For you. If you're in Christ, he, God himself has been preparing a place for you. Now in scripture, we, we do get lots of like flavors of what heaven is going to look like. Uh, we, we can sort of, you know, it's all of it's like poetic language. It's never really going to do justice to what heaven actually is going to be like. Um, but it's going to be amazing. We, we catch glimpses of it. It's, it's, it's going to be all nations together. It's going to be no more pain, illness, suffering or tears. And its appearance will be like that of just really, really amazing, precious, cool stuff. Like roads being made out of gold and pearl gates and random jewels that I don't, I've never seen and heard of, but stuff, big stuff being built out of it. And just precious, precious stuff. Visually, just mind-blowing stuff that it's going to just look just incredible. I mean, if you're going to get excited about anything in life at all, get excited about the fact that you're going to heaven. Because God has been preparing it for you since the creation of the world. He calls you blessed. He says this is your inheritance. It is astounding that this is the truth for us if we're sheep. And he gives the reason why. He he says, because you fed me, because you clothed me, because you looked after me when I was in prison, ill, la, la, la. He says all these things. And the sheep reply, Lord, when when did we do these things? You know, for for you, I, I don't remember that. There's a humility amongst them. And I just think, right, he's just mentioned some incredible stuff, like the fact that you are a child of God, you're blessed, you're going to go into heaven where he's been preparing it forever, and then he commends you, right? At this point, I'm thinking, all right, let's do worship now. (laughs) Because, uh, you know, as a sheep, I'm thinking, I don't deserve any of this anyway, can we just worship now? (laughs) God's here, 
can we just sing some songs or something, get the harp out, whatever. But he then commends them for what they've done in their lives. It, I mean, it blows my mind, the fact that Jesus is going to stand before us and he's going to say, listen, what you guys did as my children, what you did, not only was it good, but you did it for me. Do you catch the depth of that sort of illustration there that, you know, he says, you know, because they're like, when, when did we do that for you? He's like, for the, even for the least of one of these, you did it for me. When we're in relationship with Jesus, what we do in this life is for him. That, that's cool, isn't it? What we do in this life is for him and he commends us for it in the end. Now I could go on and on and on and on talking about how he's going to reward us each individually and he knows everything that we've done. And Anyway, I could get very excited and so on. And I want actually, I want you to catch some of that this, uh, this morning as well. In your own time, go away and read up on heaven's stuff. Uh, Revelation 21, just go and read that. Lie down like in a meadow or something and just meditate on those verses and just let your imagination run wild because it will enrich your soul. It will, it will do you good because when you know where you're going, it changes the way that you walk there. <laughs> when you remind yourself of what you're going to inherit, it changes the way that we do things now because it gives us the right perspective. Anyway, I've probably already spent too long talking about that. The story continues, doesn't it? And so Jesus then addresses the people on his left, the goats. And this is where the illustration takes a really dramatic turn from the probably some of the most encouraging, amazing words you'll ever hear to probably some of the scariest, most terrifying, soul-destroying words that you will ever, ever hear. It's a very harsh gear change. He turns to the people on his left. By the way, this is not prophetic. This is just because I split you into two. I'm sure if you're in Christ, this is not what he will say to you. But if you're not in Christ, he will say this to you. He turns to those on his left. And that, honestly, these words, it just, it, it's, it sends shivers down my spine because, yeah, you don't want to hear these words. He says, depart from me. For these people, it's the first time they have ever knowingly been in the presence of Jesus. Which is awesome. Now, as a Christian, I'm very grateful, and I am very grateful. I will never hear those words said to me. Because I am in relationship with Christ. And I know that he's going to say I'm blessed. But for these people, he says, depart from me. It's the first time they've been in his presence. And it's going to be the last time that they are ever in his presence. Those words are terrifying. He says, depart from me. You who are cursed. So this thing that he so, as he said to the sheep, that you are blessed. He says to those who are going to depart from him, you are cursed. And this isn't just their problem. We all we have all had this problem. We are all born 
into a curse. Because of Adam's first sin, we are tainted, we are born sinful, we are under the curse of sin. And these people remain under that curse. Jesus goes on to tell them why. And he says, because you didn't do this for me. Because you didn't do that for me. Same stuff that he said to these guys that they did do. Now, the legalist here will sort of say, you know, well, actually, probably they did serve some of the poor. You know, actually, there's been some really amazing people who have clothed people who haven't been Christians. Okay? You're kind of missing the point. The point is, when Jesus is speaking to the sheep, he's commending them for what they have done. Because they know him. Because they've done it for him. For these people, it doesn't matter what they've done in their life. They don't know him. And that's it. What they've done in their lives, whether it be not feeding, not clothing, not whatever, they haven't done because they don't know him. Because they're not his children. Because they don't know the things that are on his heart. And so, there is a permanency to what Jesus is saying here. It is an eternal last word for these people. First time in the presence of the king. Last time in the presence of the king. Because he says these words. At the end, it says in verse 46, They will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So when Jesus returns and he separates everybody out, that's it. There is no going back. There is no second chance. There is no time to then change your mind at that point. Just like in that parable where the ten virgins are waiting for the bridegroom and the five foolish ones have to go away, try and find some oil. When they come back and they knock on the door, Jesus, can we come in? What's his answer? No, the door is shut. I don't know you. That door is shut. At this point, when Jesus returns and he separates them out, that's it. And so this poses an incredibly important question to us. Are you a sheep or are you a goat? And just like in that parable of the ten virgins, and this is, you know, I'm not wanting to offend or or anything with anybody, but actually, I prefer to say this, but actually you may have come to this church for years, and maybe you look right on the surface. Do you know where you're going in the end? Are you certain? Are you a sheep? Are you in relationship with Jesus? In response to this, for us who are Christians, um, the response is, is, is varied. We, we can really rejoice, just like you did with Dan last week. You can just, just rejoice. I mean, that we are going to be called blessed, that we are going to go to heaven to be with him forever. But there's also a challenge there. Because when Jesus is talking about things about serving the poor, about uh, reaching out to others, and so on, living our lives for him. Very often we can be sheep, but we can still maybe want to live like goats. Are we living like 
heaven is approaching. We don't know, we don't, we don't, we don't know when Jesus is going to come back. It could be a long, long, long time away, okay? You might have loads of time. Or it could be tonight. We don't know. Are we living, as Christians, are we living like that day approaches? Are we ready? Have we set our hearts and minds on things above? When we come before Jesus and he commends us, will he be commending us for serving the poor and the broken and the needy and the outcast? We have the most amazing truth in Christ, friends. If you're in Christ, it's just awesome. And no, we're not yet what we will be, but we're not what we were. We can live full on lives for Christ because nothing can touch the truth of the gospel that we are his children, that we are co-heirs with Christ. If you don't know Jesus, today I'm giving you a warning. I'm warning you. Do you know Christ? Have you given your life to Christ? Are you called a child of Christ? When the end comes, and it will come, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. Where are you going to go? It's a challenge. It's an important question that you need to be able to answer. And my heart, if you don't know Christ, my heart is that today you will come to know him. The truth is, is that Jesus has already come into the world and he lived the perfect life. He went to the cross and died on the cross. And that was for our sin. Because we, nothing we can do, nothing we can try, we'll be able to get rid of our sin. He took our punishment so that if we repent, we say sorry for how we've lived our lives, and we turn to Christ, we will be forgiven and then called children of God. That, if you're not in Christ, if you're not a Christian, that is an open invitation to you today. It is a free gift. It is because God loves you. It is not earned. It is free. You do not need to do anything to try and buy your way into heaven. You can't. You just need to accept what Christ has done. And so... I, I just, in preparing for this, I felt maybe this is the point that some children need to listen up. So if you're a child or you call yourself a child, this question is for you as well. You need to, you need to hear this question is, do you know Jesus? Are you living for Jesus? Because in the end, there's going to be two groups, people who know Jesus and people who don't know Jesus. And you can make that decision today. You can make that decision to follow Jesus, to be Jesus' friend, to give your life to him. Today, you can join with all the other Christians and say, God is preparing a place for me in heaven. And that is very, very exciting. And so for you adults as well, if you don't know Christ, please today hear this warning. This is true. You are either a sheep or a goat. There is nothing in between. You're not all right. Everything's not going to be all right. If you don't know Christ, that's the truth. And so 
I'd just like to invite a response now.